Hello and welcome to ClappyCast, a weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief, Jalou Sharp, and today I'm happy to be joined by Jacob Allen. Hey, happy to be here. Kevin White. Hey everybody, what's up? And Hilary White. Hello. On today's episode, we're discussing the adaption of author Donald Ray Pollock's novel The Devil All the Time, as well as Janelle Monet's first leading role in Gerard Bush and Christopher Wren's Antebellum. Let's start with Antonio Campos, The Devil All the Time. I've been watching your every move for the last couple weeks. You can't get enough of that reister girl, can you? Is that how you did my Lenora too? Mrs. Russell's boy. Don't do anything you'll regret, son. Why don't you put the gun down and make him talk all about it? Go ahead and talk. In Knock'em Stiff, Ohio and its neighborhood backwards, sinister characters converge around young Arvin Russell as he fights evil forces that threaten him and his family. Jacob, you reviewed The Devil All the Time for the website. Uh, you begin this week. Take it away. All right. The Devil All the Time. Definitely not a film for everyone, for the faint of heart. I've seen a lot of reactions. Uh, <laughs> it's got a lot of violence, a lot of disturbing images, but it's if, if you're there for that, if you're on board, it's definitely worth your time. It's a post-World War II film, but it's also a pre-Vietnam film and everything in between. It's tied together by two generations. The film is a face-off between Robert Pattinson and Tom Holland, but you might be surprised to find out that there's a prologue between that featuring Bill Skarsgård. It starts with him. He's just gotten home from World War II. He's got some PTSD for sure. And... He's in a country that is now at peace, but he's not at peace by himself. He's seen terrible things, and the country's ready to move on. We've just uh, defeated Hitler. The world is happy. But uh, you quickly come to find that in the name of peace and religion that everyone has taken on, this is, that's not the case, this peaceful post-World War II world. So some may be a little surprised to see Bill Skarsgård start the film i think it's exciting to see him outside of a uh a stephen king project for sure but you'll come to find that even when he's not putting on the clown makeup or in the bottom of the basement in a hulu show it, <laughs> this still has that stephen king horrifying imagery um and that feel of just dread i i happen to like that dread i think a lot of times uh sometimes i mean that's just up my alley i'm also like a young guy so it's like okay yeah like give me the gore but even for me i'm not gonna lie this got pretty crazy you've got a lot of spiders i've got a fear of spiders uh so that's scary if you're scared of dogs that is i mean you're scared of seeing dogs hurt and animals hurt this is not for you but if you can stomach it like i said worth your time. I, I like him a lot in this role. It's definitely outside. He, so he plays Tom Holland's dad. When here, I thought Tom Holland gave a career best performance, at least outside of Spider-Man, because I do think he he's a great Peter Parker, really um, best for that role. So outside of that, I think this is his most dramatic turn. He plays a young, not a young Bill Skarsgård, but he 
he embodies him. And I think he does this really well. It's outside of his, you don't think of Bill Skarsgård and Tom Holland in the same conversation, but Tom takes on his uh, great acting and persona in this movie and just really pushes it with the dread of the whole thing. I think um, it's a great script in how it's all tied together. What happens before the past affects the future and everything in between, it's all just repetitive. Uh, you'll probably hear a little bit about that more with what we talk later on the podcast with other movies, just how uh, things are tied together. I think overall, it, it definitely lacks. I've heard a lot of takes that this should have been a mini series. I haven't read the book, so I don't know. But I think that there are things left on the table. My favorite thing is, though, of this, the biggest theme that I grab from this is just like how you can misuse either like peace or religion and do things in the name of it thinking. And so the point I would like to make here is after World War II, all these characters, they're super religious. A lot of them have made promises to God like, oh, if you bring my son back, I'll do this. And you have some characters saying that. So you see a lot of that. Everyone is doing everything. Everyone's at church. It's a whole, it's a very religious, like small town country, like God is good. The war is over. But you quickly see that even though people are quote unquote at peace, they do things in the name of religion. And that's kind of the contrast in between this post-World War II and this pre-Vietnam. So you have um, the first preacher, he goes on to, he ends up murdering his wife because he believes that God has told him to do this uh, miracle of rehabilitation, or this miracle of rehabilitation, and in the name of this, so he does this, and clearly now he's a murderer, because it's not, there's no miracle, it's not going to happen, it's not real, but he does this in the name of religion. Later on, you see Robert Pattinson comes in as the next pastor, and he, he does things in the name of religion, but it's it's different. He's not doing. He has take religion. He's taken it and he twists it. I, I I said in my review for Clapper that it's kind of sort of like the serpent in Genesis. He's using what God says, but in his own way. So he's taking. He's everything he speaks is a. It's in like parables. It's in he's preaching. He's always saying a sermon, and he uses the word to get those to do what he wants, which is different than thinking in his head, oh, God wants me to do this. He's using it to hit his advantage. And I like, I like that like contrast because as time goes on, you get out of, well, World War II is over and you just kind of keep and use things towards your advantage. Um, and it's just like a different world as you get. I think that's like the biggest, like it's crazy to think that your pastor would be doing the things that Robert Pattinson does, who gives a great iconic, just crazy Robert Pattinson role. If you love his movies, you're going to not want to miss this. It's just, uh, I mean, not as wacky as the lighthouse, but definitely this Southern accent that he gives on is unique. He does great with Tom Holland back and forth together, and you're going to want to see the face-off. So those are my thoughts on the movie. It's, it's definitely worth your time, but just know that maybe it's not 
for the kids? I, th I think the first thing I would say about this film is that it, it surprised me in certain ways. Um, it was an entirely pleasant experience. One thing that I didn't expect was that the timelines were going to be kind of shuffled around in some areas and understanding exactly who was playing who. I think that really surprised me in some ways that like uh, that Bill Skarsgård was playing Tom Holland's father and that the women in particular, because the women are quite secondary in this film. And in some ways they're footnotes to the action and they're usually the recipients of the violence we see or um, the misfortunes that happen to these families. I do agree with, with Jacob quite a bit. One of the things that I walked away from was that all of the men in these films, although they're not, they all have ideals that are corrosive, that ruin them completely in a, at one point or another. And the ideals usually are rooted in religion or they might just be like some kind of like personal religion that they might be going through, whether the religion is violence or um, politics and, you know, trying to attain power. And particularly the first sequence of the film, I'd say, I wouldn't say it hit me personally, but I think in some ways it kind of did about societies or in particular communities that are religious that believe that anything could happen through prayer. If you just pray enough, miracles can happen. And I was raised in a very religious community where that was definitely ingrained in you. It's like, if you just pray, and if you are a good enough person, then bad things won't happen to you or things can be prevented. And as a child, I learned that that wasn't the case. It's a really crushing thing. So the Tom Holland character in particular, I identified with. The second thing I want to get into is the cast. I don't think I would have cared about this film at all if it wasn't for the cast, because the cast is pretty stellar as far as like who they got lined up to take on these roles, even these bit roles like uh, Haley Bennett and Mia Wasikowska are not in it very much or not as in, in it as much as I thought they would be. And uh, to get that kind of high tier, like experienced, amazing actresses who play leads in their in other films and they are just in this for, you know, a few scenes or something like that I found was really impressive. But here is where I get extremely amused. The entire cast, or a big chunk of it, are these guys that are considered, you know, sex symbols. So there's a lot of people who are gonna go see this film who are just like, mm, I'm just expecting, you know, an entire film of like these guys with Southern accents that are taking their shirts off and chopping wood. That is not the devil all the time. That does not happen at all. And I have to give kudos to these guys, in particular Sebastian Stan, for making themselves almost completely unrecognizable and abhorrent without doing very much. And Stan in particular really struck me. Like I could tell he gained weight for the role. He has like a little bit of a belly. His neck is thick, almost kind of, almost spilling over his collar. His mouth is open all the time, kind of like slack jawed. And he just plays this horrible person and looks almost rec unrecognizable. He's not Sebastian Stan, but no makeup, no nothing. He just slightly changed his mannerisms. It's like, this person is disgusting. Like, you just don't like him. And Pattinson in this film, he <laughs> his work in this reminded me slightly of what he did in The King last year. He chose, like, I think he found the character through the voice. 
there's a very particular accent and way that he says things. His voice is a lot higher and um, almost, it's just not Pattinson anymore. And you can just tell, it's just, I don't want to say like it's an oily character or like a, a stock villain or anything like that, but there's something slightly humorous about him, even though he's incredibly corrupt at what he's doing. But overall, the way the film made me feel was pretty awful. The violence in it is very abrupt and some points shocking. There's one scene in particular that I kind of felt like something was coming and what it came in a, from a different angle. I didn't expect it. And so I kind of jumped a little bit and I was quite shocked by it. I have to say like, there's some aspects of this that make me feel really hypocritical because I thought like, this is such a dire, dark, film and what happens to the women is terrible but I mean for example I've liked films like Brimstone which came out a few years ago and strangely enough Robert Pattinson and Mia Wasikowska were supposed to be in it but they weren't they were replaced by Kit Harrington and Dakota Fanning so and that's a really dark violent film but I got more out of that than this this just seemed very sadistic and empty and just sad it's not like the other films I like in this genre, like, like I said, like Brimstone or Lawless with Tom Hardy and Shia LaBeouf, which is also a very brutal film. Um, I just didn't enjoy this one as much. But I think if you, this is your bag, if you like things like Lawless or The Proposition or other really violent Westerns, then this might be the right film for you. Hearing both uh, yourself, Hillary, and, and Jacob, I, I'm I'm probably more... On, on your side, Hillary, with this. Um, I, I didn't really know what to expect with this. I know that the Assemble cast is the first thing that hits you and it, it is stacked with quite a few sizable uh, actors and actresses here. I think just to mention on a few things that you said, Hillary, because I think obviously, like I just said, I, I, I'm more in the same vein as you. The two standouts here for me uh, is Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson. I think that Holland is showing, you know, he's got to sort of do this now where he's going to have to push his emotional range and his and his ability to to prove everyone else that he, that he's not just peter parker which is unfortunate because i think his his performance in the impossible is 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 one that came before those films and showcased him as as a real possibility to to, to go somewhere and here i think he gets those shackles off uh, quite well although he he does do this thing where I, I just don't, I don't want to really compare him to anyone else, but I think it's, a, it's very similar to sort of Daisy Ridley's performances where he has one facial expression and he carries it throughout the film. And with the rise of the Skywalker in this, and I'll, I'll, I'll make mention of the relevance of that a bit later, so regarding its running time, it becomes very tedious. And, and anyone who wants to sort of find this film to commit to itself, I just, I just find that the emotional sort of, ability of these these characters doesn't really extend to a, a two hour and, and, and 20 minute film but um the, the second thing like i said about robert Pattinson and, and to, to echo what you said hillary I, I think it's on record to say that he refused to even show the the, the director um his 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 um his his voice uh, for, for, for this performance and and did it on day of arrival and when the cameras started to to shoot so i bet that was somewhat of a surprise but uh, i think Pattinson's an actor who who again has has had issues in the past with a franchise has been torn to pieces by people who don't know him don't know his ability as an actor and has just sort of defied that by just saying look 
I, I, I couldn't give a flying fuck anymore. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And you know what? I've done the franchise game. I've made a lot of money. Let's go and, and you know, experiment for a bit. I mean, with Cronenberg and with Eggers like last year, The Lighthouse, he's really shown himself to be a, a, a really committed actor. Again, sometimes the returns are here and all there. Uh, but regardless, he's always got a performance that, that, that just rings a sort of memorable ability about it. I mean, his performance in High Life by Claire Denis, it's not something that will change the the, the face of the, the genre by any means, but he puts something forward that's, that's generally quite stunning. And even, as you mentioned with The King, it's not a film that, that, that he is going to be remembered for, but ultimately, even with his sort of <laughs> really forced French accent, he just puts something forward. And again, the return might not be there for a lot of people, but I, I like that commitment where he sees material. And I don't know if that's his reflection of what he thinks of the material, but if he thinks he's got to elevate it to that sort of degree, that that's that the jury's out on that. Here it is a very strange sort of take to, to pull off. I can see what he's doing there with, with, with the context of the character and how uncouth and questionable the, the, that, that, that person is within again the role so he's trying to sort of make an oxymoron relationship where he's quite like like spoken high-pitched he's trying to make someone who's who's very you know easy to sort of you know not feel defense defensible about and, and he sort of enraptured that way so i can get it um but i think undoubtedly he, he's, he's definitely the highlight of the film the one other thing, and, and, and it's going to sort of take a nosedive in a minute, but I just need to mention this. The, the film does a very interesting thing that I don't think a lot of people talk about, but the narrator of this film is actually the author, Donald Ray Pollock. That's an incredibly eerie and unsettling thing that the film does. It's, it's, it's that it has the author sort of dictate the pace and, and the sort of romantic, not romanticization of it, but the, the author is allowed then to dictate the, 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 the narrative of this. And I, I sort of really dug that approach i think it's a really interesting way to do that it's not just like a sam elliott and the big lebowski it's not something that you have like a third party actor it's just a really sort of neat and, and interesting way to sort of dictate your, your, your feature by being very organic to, to the nature of the material in itself so I, I, that was one thing that I, I really really enjoyed um the problem with that though which ultimately is an issue with the film overall is that while on the surface, that's a really interesting and cool idea to do it. And for the most part, I think it works. Before long, the material just begins to explain itself. I don't think the narration needs to be there to the degree and capacity it is. It's in here way too much, but it is effective. But ultimately, it's just verbally sort of con convincing the audience, what the, you know, the emotional exposition of this happening to the film. And for me, I don't really want to be there having, you know, I don't want to go into spoilers, but there's a, there's a, there's a, excuse me excuse me there's a bit towards the end where it, it sort of deviates from the actual source material uh, and and the, the director's been on record to explain why they did that and i think it's an interesting way but it's just the narration just over exemplifies what's going on and it's to the point where i don't need someone telling me it just show me it and i can make that decision for myself so i think it goes two hand and fist on, on that regard but just to go to the nose dive here to say this is a disappointing feature so it doesn't really cut it um this is such a muddled and hollow exam examination of character. Uh, I, to be honest, I, I was left, I wouldn't say disappointed. I, and I, I would say I was unsettled by it, but we'll get onto that a little bit later because I know, I know Jacob spoke about it in, in yourself, Hillary. But this feature, quite frankly, was just boring throughout for, for two hours and 20 minutes. This, this is a film that can't commit of being a feature 
or a narrative TV show. It needs to either be an hour and forty, or it needs to be three hours. It can't be in between. And I think that the, the, that issue of wanting to sort of prioritize material, but also cut it at a length that feels appropriate, there's no balance there whatsoever. And with that, the characters to me are underwritten, they're underwhelming. Nothing here um, has any form of depth aside from uh, a recurring theme, which is death, which ultimately it becomes sort of tongue in cheek of how over reliable, but also over over relied and it, it, not say excessive, but the, the gore and, and, and horror is on show here. It's way too excessive to the point where it's actually quite uncomfortable. I think if, if I'm on the right lines of you, Hillary, there is a scene where it feels like it's going to go one way and it goes another. And I think, Jacob, you did speak about if that's the scene in question. I'm not too sure what we're talking about. But that was a scene where it hit me quite hard uh, regarding two characters who, who, who were husband and wife. And I, I felt that that was a gut-wrenching sort of approach to sort of the violence of, you know, religion meets, you know, this sort of revolving world where they've come out of a war prosperity is high but there's issues internally about where then do, do these characters sort of head towards i felt that scene in question was was really well weighted and then beyond that point it's just excessive death on death on death on death on death and it never seemed to wanted to end um it takes a lot of courtesy of just wanting to be excessively sadistic um and i think I wouldn't go to the extent it's torture porn, whereas in my review on Letterboxd, I, I did say that. And I think the film does toy around with it, but it, 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 it's way too excessive. But ultimately, it's a film that feels like a Stephen King novel without the colossal intrigue and, and the sort of horror dynamics. It, it's, it's a very strange film. I mean, it's far too overcrowded with character. Um, you, you have these characters that intersect and interweave throughout the history. I think it's 1946 until like 1967, I believe. It just felt all too coincidental and it just was constant misery. I mean, it's like a misery upon insights. It, like, it feels like it's excited to do it. And to me, it, if it's in context within the narrative of the film, you know, you need to show a sadistic killer. You have to go to the extremes of showing it. And there's like this unwritten rule in, in, in Hollywood where if you want to show someone who's an evil bastard, it's that you kill an animal. This film does that. It tries to do something with that as well. I don't think it fails. I think it fails because, again, there's just no depth here on show. There really isn't. And the problem with the constant misery porn issue is that because it's happening all the time, there then becomes to be sort of this path and these breadcrumbs. And, and before long, you can sort of see where it's going. You just know that someone is going to die in a horrific way. And it's also just become like a bingo card. It's like, oh, checklist, he's dead. Checklist, she's dead. Oh, bonus points for how they have died. And before long, it becomes predictable. Uh, and and to be honest, th there is a point within this film where there is a, there's a conversation to be had of how these small town folk, let's say, and not to be patronising, are engulfed in little America, what they see it and how... I mean, little towns, not just little America. I think this happens everywhere, but I think as the film is set in, you know, middle America, it probably should be noted about that. But it does an interesting thing with where this film can comment on the fact of that when you haven't got anything, uh, you'll fall for, for, fall for something. But this is so weak and the, 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 the foundation is so unstable 
uh, I've got to be honest, this is probably, it's not one of the worst films of the year, don't get me wrong. I, 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 the more I think about it, the more I generally detest the film. And I, I know I'm not gonna have like loads of shit for that, but to be honest, the more I think about this film, the more I generally detest it. And I think it's just such a, a, a shame because you have like a cast list. I know Hillary, you, you've noted some of them, Jacob as well. Kevin definitely is gonna know as well. There's, there's such a good ensemble here. Um, but the one thing that this this has proved to me is that Eliza Scanlon is going to be the Sean Bean of her generation, and I think we've just got to accept that any time we see that character on the screen, we we're going to know what happens to that character. And ultimately, that's the one thing I came away with, which is quite sad. Holland and Patterson, yeah, uh, intriguing. Aside from it, sort of a Netflix film shooting on thirty-five millimeter, which is quite rare. That's all it really has to say. There's there's an interesting cinematography here. Uh, but I don't like the the high dynamic frame rate that, that Netflix do. I don't like the over stylized saturation of their image. Greens are too greens. Everything is way too plush. Um, and overall, just to end this, um, I, I'm I'm deeply disappointed in this feature, and I, I can't really see a lot of people coming away from here and being uh, impressed if I, if I miss it. So myself, I do agree with Jack on that. With the, the film being very boring in a sense, where you know, it's just so much violence and dread happening over and over again that it just it becomes very grating after, after so long. But you know, the ensemble does, they do what they can with the material, ultimately, with you know, Pattinson obviously being, being the standout amongst the entire cast, I would say. But uh, uh, Tom Holland, though, he's definitely, definitely showing that he does have some type of range. I think one of the few Marvel films I've seen him outside of would be uh, James Gray's uh, The Velocity of Z, which he gave a very, no, wasn't in there for, for too long, but he did give a pretty good performance in that. So I mean, definitely this and that movie does show he has something beyond just being Peter Parker. I'm sorry, I'm laughing here because Jack just noted that he watched Aquaslash. How did that happen? I watched it before before this. I mean, like I said, within context of it, it's it's such a difficult film to sort of um, discuss because what, ultimately, what is this film defined by? When 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 we walk away from this, all four of us have said the exact same thing: where it's excessively gory, the the cast list is wasted. I I just there's very few positives that I think this this group has come away from, and all four of us come from different backgrounds different creeds we've got very different um, tastes in cinema but this film is sort of making the exact same mistakes on every front that we all see i just want i just wanted to know about because i know i don't want to cut kevin off if he's got more to say but does anyone actually have any positive to say about this aside from perhaps maybe tom holland <laughs> i'm not too i'm not too sure even someone might disagree with me about on that but i think it's such a difficult film to pull any sort of form of positives away i, I, I generally i'm struggling no, I, I do agree with you on that. Um, I think one of the few positives I could say is something again you had mentioned, which is the fact that it was shot on uh, it was shot on film. And, you know, you can you can see the grain in it, so it, it it looks nice, but everything else that is filling those images just isn't that nice to actually look at. At the end of at the end of, at the uh, end of the day, you know, I think on one of the few shots I was actually kind of impressed by would have been uh, the flashback with uh, Bill Sarsgaard's character when he finds the, uh, the person on the cross. Probably one of the few scenes that actually I thought looked good 
other than that, this is all seems kind of generic, I guess. I agree with you on that. One thing that I've been hearing over and over again and has really been driven home is that a lot of these scenes that we're seeing in this story, we kind of know what's going to happen. Every single scene kind of opens up with kind of a buildup and you just know that somebody is going to die. It was interesting that when Jack brought up the narration, in some ways the narration was comforting to me because it gives you a little bit of distance from what's happening. Kind of like a Michael Hanukkah's Funny Games, the original is I think in German with subtitles. The subtitles give you some distance from the violence that's happening and I felt like the voiceover in this helped a little bit too where it's just like, I'm just gonna explain everything like every now and then so you kind of are distracted from what's happening on screen, but it's still overall just an endless parade of very ugly, sadistic behavior. There was some things with the casting that I found interesting, especially because uh, Mia Wasikowska and is it Eliza Scalin, I think, Eliza Scalin, they've played serial killers before. And in here they're playing people who are completely oblivious to the kind of violence that is coming at them. and on the inverse, uh, Riley Cow, or I'm probably totally killing her name here, but she uh, she plays somebody who is not a vi- she was a, a serial killer victim in the house that Jack built, and here the role is qu- is reversed for her. Not to spoil things, but um, she's definitely not not um, a victim of a serial killer in this. She's doing something else. But yeah, overall, I, I mean just discussing films in general. I think this film along with the recent release of I'm Thinking of Ending Things and seeing Tenet recently, these have been very confounding and uncomfortable and upsetting experiences walking away from those films. Personally for me, where you just don't feel good and you kind of think considering this year and everything that has happened to people in general, as well as personally, it's kind of like, what's the, why was this even added to the discussion? It seems very just painful for the sake of being painful or being violent or confusing or convoluted for whatever reason. And I was a little surprised by that because I do like Campos um, somewhat. I have seen Christine. I recently saw After School, but the film that he's done that has stayed with me the longest is probably Simon Killer which is currently on Netflix. And it's just a very disturbing, but well done portrait of a psychopath or a sociopath, depending on how you read things. And I've seen that a few times. I'd almost rather watch Simon Killer several more times than ever see The Devil all the time again, because I just didn't get anything out of it. And uh, I think for you guys, it's probably the same. I do, I do think though, Hilary, you've actually said a few things there that I think, and before, I, there's one thing I missed from you before I generally want to touch upon, but just to talk about the violence in this film, and that's what makes me also slightly disappointed with Campos is that he has shown violence before, and, this, and all of a sudden there's a noticeable scene in Christine, if anyone has seen it, where it's, it's, it, there's, a, there's a sort of suicide theme within his films, and Within Christine, there's a very, very strong context behind that. It's depth, it's, it's investigated by definition of what the film is. Here, it felt like every time he tried to do that, it was just thrown to, to the side and go, yeah, let's do that, let's do that. But it doesn't have any weight. And I think these are very, very, very 
strong themes to have in a film that, that, that deserve depth. Uh, and, and like you said, with, with the context of the world we're living in now, this felt so excessively violent and, and unneeded as well. I mean, we, we look at, I can, I can name five or six scenes here where there is a violent nature to it and, an, and to a point of excessiveness. And I think if you can back that up with the context of the film first, but also secondly, if you can add weight to that and you can add responsibility, you can add, have other themes, then I think overall you can include those scenes and those sequences that are very difficult to take, but nonetheless, they feel like they're, they're, they're merited and, and, and earned. Here, there's one scene regarding Tom Holland and another character that we spoke about. That to me felt the most weighted. Other than that, everything felt like it was for the sake of violence. And that's the one thing I think Nicholas Winding Refn gets annihilated for is that you can't have violence as an aesthetic. It doesn't work. It just feels excessively um, and also redundant, I think is the best way to say it. Because it, what does it add? If you can't add it through, through character build-up, you can't add it through conversation, and you, and you need excessive violence to convey your point. I think it's a very easy way for a director and a writer to do it because they don't have to then study their own work and, and really dive into it. But the one thing you mentioned earlier, Hilary, and I, I think I, I, it deserves to be spoken about, and I know I, I, admit I completely missed it at my previous point, is that there is a, there's a, if it was one, I'll just say it first of all, and then I'll get into it, but there seems to be an issue here with, with, with female roles, women, women in this film, all of them are supporting characters, which is, if that's a coincidence, fair enough. But every single one of them are written in a way that A, they're helpless, B, they're victims. And throughout it all, there's not one character who's, who's played by the likes of, you know, Riley Keough, Eliza Scanlon, uh, Mia Wachowska, like, they're all victims and they're just all, you know, pr provoked as these... I don't want to say lifeless because there's sort of character there, but they feel like these helpless one note characters that are here to just move the plot on and become victims. And to be honest, it just built up and built up. And it, it was almost like a guessing game. Like, a, I know I was joking about the bingo, but it's, it's actually true. If you look at it and you think, right, right, blah, 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 like she's going to get murdered now. She, she, Cause obviously it's just a, it feels like it was a running gag. Um, if you happened not to have a penis in this film, you were just a you were just a victim. You would, and, it, and to be honest, like I said, if it's a coincidence, that's fair enough. But it, it, you have three very very well known and renowned actresses here on offer, and I, I think he wastes all three of them. The one that I think he can get away with is a Scanlon, and I think again with the narration that scene, it has this really oxymoronic and 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 really unsettling era because it's this soft spoken and again wonderful narration really velvet voice where it's very warming and then you see this, this, this the depiction of imagery and it, it just creates this and i mean it's making me feel it unsettled now it's it's a very difficult scene and it's the one scene in the film where i'll, I'll give campos props where um, i think he directs the shit out of that film i think you, sorry that that scene in particular is is perfect but again it's a recurring theme throughout this this piece of work here is that every sort of female character is a redundant piece to elevate violence but not the plot and before long, it just becomes a tick, uh, sorry, checklist. And I obviously, like Christine makes that sort of theme even more absurd because he's looked at female characters uh, who, who would, in other people would say, victims of, of, of circumstance or, or of their own mind. And, 
and it, he, he sort of looked at that material and really done something with Christine. And then you look at it here. To me, I'm dumbfounded of the reason why. Perhaps that's a conscious decision, but to me, to make three characters have very similar paths, uh, I think that's. I don't. I don't think that's conscious. I think that's that. That's really just a, a very piss poor excuse to to underwrite female characters. The one character in particular, I think he does horrifically, is the grandmother. And I think there's a scene between her. Uh, well, not her, but she she's involved with a scene of Robert Patterson. And she's just sort of devastated within sort of her circle within the film, within the context of this sort of town folk. And the, 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 it's, it's actually like a really sort of horrible scene to witness because what Patterson's character does is, 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 is generally sort of horrible to, to know that this woman's gone through all this shit in her life, you know, within, obviously within reason of not spoiling it. Uh, to say that her life has been hard is, it would be an understatement in itself. And for him then at that moment not to explore that and then ultimately forget about that character in general and never refer to have her as a speaking voice within the film again. Um, again, I just left dumbfounded. Really, the more I think about this, I think it's a colossal failure on all fronts. And I feel this is not going to be, I feel it's not going to be a tonight situation, but I'm undoubtedly going to bump this score down when, when I really finish this podcast. I think with everything involved here, cast the ensemble cast it has, the, the critically acclaimed cast it has, the length of the film, the context of the plot, uh, Campos really a shitler bed here to, to a degree that I, I find generally sort of, well, I, I think I might need like a physicist to, 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 to sort of explain to me. Forget about the, the plot of Tanet, explain to me why Campos has, has managed to sort of do such a piss poor job with this is, is unbelievable. Maybe this needs something like a, 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 a more elevated person behind the camera. But then again, as you said, Hillary, there's work here that's genuinely quite impressive in his back catalogue. Maybe this is just one that, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. But again, with all the, all the pieces here for the jigsaw and not be able to be able to put it together is a, is a massive concern. Now, I'm, I, I don't want to put all the, the, the you know, the, the blame on Campos. I think there's a few narrative decisions he's, he's had to make here. But I think that what, what I think it would, you said Jacob earlier, I've, I've spoke for so long, I apologise, I've, I've got no idea where we are, but <laughs> I think that this film needs to commit to a miniseries, or I don't know if you said that, Hillary, so I do apologise, um, but I think it would have preferred to be a miniseries and really have had that killer edge towards the end, because I think Sebastian Stan is, a, is an actor, and again, like you said, Hillary, he's probably the one performer here who's putting out something very different to what we've seen before, and really go with it. I know that the, the role was originally meant for his um, Civil War castmate Chris Evans and I'm so glad they didn't do that um, although they would have had a, a definitely a bounce what's happened in social media to, to have some sort of uh, new clicks on Netflix but regardless I think he's the one performer here who really puts forward a, a scene stealing performance but it's just there's no depth here I, I don't I don't understand that character's motives aside from him having a personal connection to one issue that happens uh, to, to do the extent that he does. I don't know why he's running for mayor. I don't know why he does the things he does. I don't know his, his, his other colleagues. You just don't know anything about this film whatsoever. And I, I, I put it towards anyone now. Can anyone tell me the name of his character? Can anyone tell me the name of Robert Patton's character? Can anyone tell me the name of Eliza Scanlon's character? Can anyone tell me the name of, and you know, Bill Scarzo's character? I can't tell you anything because I don't know it because the film never explicitly states anything about these people. And again, 
the more I think about this film, the more I'm genuinely shocked to, to the degree of how piss poor this feature is. Um, but yeah, no, I do definitely agree with you on that, Jake. Uh, it's it was just very poorly done, you know. And I think another another thing that I forgot to mention earlier was I think someone else had mentioned was the uh, the plotting in it. And I thought that was probably one one of the weakest things about it that really dragged the film down more so than than the violence did, which was no getting to know one character, then immediately jumping to another character, and then jumping back to that character, and then got into a flashback, then we're back to the present, and then we're back to another flashback. You know, that happening constantly really takes you out of the movie. So, you no, know, by the time those, like, almost 45 minutes in, I think, will you finally meet Tom Holland's character? You know, by then, you're already so lost with, the, with everything that's kind of, like, I'm only 45 minutes in. It's kind of crazy. Uh, I think I just have like a, I think one last thought and it's about Campos himself. I think Jack really illuminated something for me, especially thinking about this film in comparison to other films I've seen that he's done. If I hadn't been told that he directed the devil all the time, I would have been surprised if someone told me he had when it was done because one of the, strong suits that he has in his previous films is that he actually doesn't show the violence. It's like sometimes implied or it's like slightly off screen or it's not shown very like pornographically. I think, you know, there's the mention of torture porn earlier, although I wouldn't say this film is torture porn. That's its own kind of um, genre, but the, the violence is definitely there. You see people get stabbed. You see people get shot and the impact hitting them, all these horrible things happening in his other films. You don't, see that as much and with Christine in particular someone who was involved in production told me that they did film a scene that showed that showed violence actually they shot an entire sequence showing the aftermath of something and how horrible it was but he decided to cut it so it is interesting to think about that tendency to hold back and leave things to the audience's imagination. And I think in some ways it does hit harder. Everyone goes back to that example from Reservoir Dogs that the ear cutting scene was shot two different ways. And the one they chose horrified people more because it didn't show anything, you know? And in some ways less is definitely more. I feel like the devil all the time may have been more, it may have had more of an impact if it hadn't shown everything and slow things down. I think maybe a miniseries would have been better. And I mentioned Haneke before, and I think he really influenced Campos's earlier work. So everything was a little bit more elliptical with the editing and wasn't showing violence or the camera would track off and you wouldn't see certain things. I feel like that's a lot more effective. Uh, this film felt more like something I've seen already like a hundred times. Yeah, for sure. Hearing everyone's thoughts, especially Jack's, just about the dread and the characters and, oh, they're dead and then they are dead and then they're dead. And you just kind of get into this repeated cycle. I, I never thought about it like that, where by the end, you're definitely, it's, oh, I've seen this before. Oh, and sometimes they play the, so many cards so early that when it the ending comes, you're like, whoa, well, maybe that character didn't die as gruesome as someone else that didn't deserve to die like that gruesome or it's just like oh maybe he should have gotten this or that or maybe no one should have gotten anything right like I agree with the less is more 
And then if you have less and you have the one gruesome thing rather than every single thing gruesome, that even puts that more. It's like when you take sound down, so quiet place, right? Oh, it's really quiet. And then something's loud and people say, that's the loudest thing I've ever heard, but it's actually not. So it's like, oh, that that's the most gruesome thing I've ever seen, but it's not. It's just that everything else you didn't see. So that could be better. I definitely agree with that front. And on that scene with the grandma, I agree that that is a big emotional point where you're like oh wow this this new pastor Robert Pattinson really isn't he's not that nice of a guy he's using once again like like I was talking about earlier he's using his sermon oh I'll give a sermon about this here and then it just embarrasses her but it's to his own I don't know to his own good and that just it's definitely a big sense of dread it's super weird it's a yeah, it's a freaky, it's a freaky movie. And the more I think about it, Jack did bring up a good point. Like, what are the positives? And there aren't that many because even by the time you're there, people are saying, "Well, maybe I'll go and fight in Vietnam," and you know how that goes. So that is really where it's it really ends on dread too, when they're thinking about, "Oh, well, Vietnam's going on. Maybe I'll do that." And so that's just that's where it really takes that final oh okay that yeah i guess that's totally on point with the film so that's probably all i have to say about that i will add just one more thing and it's it's actually nothing to do with the film but campos actually has one title in the next few years that he that he's going to be directing and that is a prequel to the omen film now considering as as what you said as well here about hillary sorry about how you know how we how we how his depiction of violence in christine is is not not particularly, you know, the, the most heavy-handed, and here is. I'm generally sort of quite interested to see how he will, how he will depict that, because that's not a film that's overly... Well, it depends what take. If he takes like Conjuring take, maybe I can understand that it'll be far less gruesome, but it, it's definitely a film that will be able to showcase his talent within the horror department. But uh, just to move on from one horror to a next, uh, let's move on next to uh, Antebellum. You're from Virginia, right? I'm from North Carolina. Look, I can't do this. Whatever you're doing, I can't do it. Listen to me. Wherever you came from before here, you need to forget about it. Mm -mm. That is not possible for me. What are we doing? What is the plan? Successful author Veronica finds herself trapped in a horrifying reality and must uncover the mind-bending mystery before it's too late. Kevin, you reviewed this title for the website. Uh, you kick us off. The first time I heard about this film was earlier this year when I saw a teaser trailer for it and I really, very much remember a guy bluntly saying, I love Jordan Peele even though I don't think it said anything to do with, it doesn't have anything to do with Jordan Peele, which it's also really very much part of my criticism of the film because oh, I think since Get Out came out, there's been a lot of that kind of push towards like kind of social horror kind of films that 
use very real things, but within the confines of the horror genre, or just you know look or just takes horror in a very different, more atmospheric area, like a Midsummer or or the Witch kind of kind of films. But the problem with Annabellum is that it just it tries too hard to be you know, like the next Get Out or Us, and that it it tries to take this very real horror the the horrors of slavery and tries to make it tries to put it within the confines of like a twisty heady horror genre and it just does not work at all you know like a lot of the things we were talking about with um the devil all the time which is you no know, there's so much violence in it but there's no weight to it there's no actual point to any of the violence being there so you know, it reaches a point where it's just gratuitous and it's tiresome and it's know been here done that you know it's nothing really new another thing was when i was watching it uh, it reminded me of this episode of the boondocks which involved people being forced to work in a slavery themed theme park to pay off their debts which it's uh, spoilers a bit um, about the film but ultimately, it, it tries to mix that with you know, being a Jordan Peele-esque kind of movie, and it just doesn't do anything beyond just being you know, a very bad exercise in shock and horror. And you know, given every, especially given everything that's going on right now, it's just not a film that, that's going to work or find an appropriate audience. It's going to find an audience, but I don't think it's going to really resonate the way that you know, people are hoping it, it would resonate. I've I've got a slight hot take here, um, but I, I've got to be very careful because I, I um it has like a little bit of connotations in the the plot, but also um, I do want to sort of back it up because there's issues that arise from it. Like you, Kevin, the first thing that came out here was that it had Janelle Monae and, and it was it was John Peel, it was John Peel, John Peel, and to be honest, I think that's quite condescending to this film because ultimately John Peel has undoubtedly had an impact on horror, but I think. Every single film with a with a, with a, either a black lead uh, or a black director, I think it, 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 it's unfortunate that has to be the comparison because it, the same thing is happening to is it Nia DaCosta for the Candyman, and it's always the John Peel Candyman. It's not it, it's DaCosta's film, and I think it's an issue that, that and it's not John Peel's fault. Don't get me wrong, he he's defined horror for a generation and he's put in his and he's put a little bit of flavor and he's put a lot more much needed color within a genre that, that doesn't explore the, the, the black community if, if anything at all to be honest so um, the comparison is always going to be there but it's unfortunate that that every sort of film that comes out here has to be compared to to you know the likes of get out or us which it's, i guess it's part and parcel with with when you sort of change a genre i suppose so i don't think anyone can blame him um, I think in this case, before the film, that's how I would feel. Afterwards, I don't want this compared to Jordan Peele whatsoever. There's a very two different horror films. Um, and also, like I said, the, the, the second thing that sort of really came out about this film was that it uh, it had a twist. Now, I'm not one for watching trailers. If, if I see it at the, 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 the theatre, I'll, I'll have to indulge. I'll go on my phone uh, regarding like trailers and stuff because I'm just not interested. I'd rather go in and see the film uh, with, 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 you know, fresh new, uh, fresh eyes. Here, that offers a very strange experience because ultimately I've been told that in the trailer, the twist is sort of not only acknowledged, that it, it doesn't even sort of, hide it which is very like terminated genesis 
Um, I don't know why Hollywood repeatedly has to make the same fucking mistake, but it, for some reason it needs to do that. So I'm, I'm not going to spoil it. If you've seen the, the trailer, I presume that you will know this twist. However, I didn't. And I'm going to say this now. I found it to be quite effective. Understandably, there's some connotations that come with that. And, I, and I'll, I'll go into that a little bit because I think it probably needs to be noted. But this film starts as something very, very, very dark. It starts as, like I said, a, a confederate. Uh, I, I, obviously, I'm not American, so I'm, I'm going to be careful what I say here because I don't want to sort of misquote or, or, or misquote history or anything. But I believe it's like a confederate settlement, which is... Uh, uh, and it, and it's it's you know it's just, I believe it's like there's loads of sl- slaves there, um, you know, p- picking cotton and, st- and stuff like that. So the film sort of explores this idea of uh, very much like a Twelve Years a Slave, Steve McQueen approach, where you have um, some very horrible and quite graphic iconography, uh, and and for the first sort of forty minutes, maybe not forty minutes, but first half an hour, there's a film that alludes itself to be in the realm of of, of that sort of uh, not quality but but conviction of needing to show the excessive nature of this that often and not doesn't get shown and it does justice to that beyond means there's some horrible horrible stuff here like genuinely like horrible iconography i'm glad that the, the sort of the the filmmakers push the audience having to witness this uh, again i think there'll be connotations again a little bit later about that that we're going to have to touch upon but um for the first 30 minutes, you, you're sort of witnessing this film, or like I said, with the, the, the 12 Years a Slave sort of direction of, of wanting to highlight the traumas that, 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 that these people went through in the name of like, just fucking blatant racism. I mean, it's just white pride. It's horrible. Like, it's generally, there's, again, we'll probably go into something like that, but the confederacy stuff, it, it's generally hard to sort of watch, especially with what's happened within the world and society now. Um, I think on the surface, when you, again, I, I'm very careful what I'm trying to say, but what the, the first 30 minutes, you watch it with very different eyes, um, very compelling eyes, very, very, very tough watch. And then after the 30 minute mark, the film does something where on the surface again, I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is, well, okay, this is generally quite interesting. What's going to go on here? And it uses this narrative technique, which I think on the surface, like I said, is a very, very effective the problem with that is that it's 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 very classic nature and horror, and it ultimately is utilized like a jump scare, where in the moment you're you're set back and like oh wow, but before long you realize that you're just riding the coattails of that jump scare, and, and there's nothing much substance to this film. When the twist actually happens, and Kevin, I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts on this as well because. Ultimately, I think I'm trying to be very careful what I say here, but I think the twist ultimately underwhelms and 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 I think uh, quite frankly patronizes what the first 30 minutes is wanting to try to say. And I think ultimately its twist is actually an incredible connot- uh, unfortunate and upsetting connotation on on, on a topic of, of what is slavery. I think it does a very disservice to that topic. I don't know how anyone else feels on that, but for me watching, I felt like it utilized slavery, especially haunting moments within, within that era um, as a fucking plot device. And, and to be honest, it, it just didn't settle with me. After I watched the film and, and, it, and I, I really sort of settled on it, I, I, I was not only like a little bit shaken, but I was quite surprised they managed to get away with that. And understandably, film Twitter has arisen from its 
cinematic coma and it's going after it. And I think fair play. I mean, when I saw that, the, the issues and, and the hot takes like that saying, oh, this is a, such a mess. I was slightly intrigued because I think Janelle May is a very talented actress. I think this is a topic that I think needs to be explored. I think that how horror subverts issues of, of, of stuff like this, I think it's an interesting sort of take to go towards. Granted, I think it needs the writers and the directors of that capacity who understand the context of that history. And I understand this film does, but I think it does a very massive disservice to, to, to slavery. And ultimately, May, may, I think to say it's tone deaf is also quite apt. There's, there's a lot here that, that I just don't want to go to specifics because it, it, the more I think about this film as well, the, the more I just feel really unsettled to talk about it because, again, I think what it does to it to its plot it, is actually horrific. To make matters worse as well, when the film has this twist and we, we sort of find out what's happening, the film just forgets about depth. It forgets about reasoning. And ultimately, it makes itself even worse about those first 30 minutes and, and feels like it's using it as a narrative device and not an actual conversation on the topic in hand is that how it uses these, these, these antagonists. They've got, the film doesn't explore why these people do these things. And, 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 it, and it's very difficult because when, when, when someone takes out a contest, you're probably asking yourself, so what uh, you're asking why are these people being horrible to to, to to slaves like do you need a reason like isn't it quite obvious let me quite be quite frank here the first 30 minutes if i said that i'd, I'd look fucking like i'd be shocked myself but the last 30 minutes puts a very different co- topic of conversation on those 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 things and i think that's what i'm trying to get at is that the, the context of the plot the narrative device does a very 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 distasteful uh, take on 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 slaves and on, on slavery, should I say? And the last twenty five minutes makes into a full blown horror film that just forgets everything about story, everything about plot, and just goes on to genre convention. And ultimately, you have this like final five minute credit sequence, well not five minutes, like thirty seconds, where it tries to make this to be a sort of a relevant conversation to have. And again, this is not in any way an ally to to this cause or a conversation. If anything, uh, this is an incredible, distasteful, and if if anyone wanted to use the word disgusting, I don't think I'd be able to argue about it. It, 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 Again, I I know I'm sort of treading over crumbs here, and I'm just be careful what I want to say, because it's not really my place to say, but I I just have to end on here that I think this this film is quite a a disgusting take on on, on the slave trade, and how it utilises it in a horror film is, is incredibly tone deaf. I would agree with you that on that, Jake. It was definitely a very, very tone deaf film. I think uh, that the opening, like you said, like the first half hour of it or so, it was, it was, it seemed promising. You know, it has this very nice, well done opening long take. You know, tra- just cameras just tracking through the whole plantation. It's, it was very well done. And you kind of have a sense that it's just going to be a different kind of movie than it actually is. And then, you know, I, I'd say probably, probably even within the first fifteen minutes, so you know, things already start kind of going off the rails a bit in terms of like where the twist is coming, and even with the twist, you no, know, it's been that's been you no know, the biggest part of, of their marketing here. You know, I think I've seen a few commercials with it, and the twist is a part of the of the, of the commercial. So having that be front and center, it really takes whatever it. You know, whatever incentive I had to actually watch the movie away. But even actually watching the movie without the context of everything else is going to happen, 
it very much just ultimately does a disservice to it all. You know, I think I think if I was going to watch a, a slavery movie, that would I would just watch Twelve Years a Slave because that's a lot more effective at actually being a, a horror film than this than this even attempts to be. You know, I, I think of two scenes from Twelve Years a Slave. I haven't seen the movie in years, and those scenes still sit with me because of how horrific they actually were. I think back on this movie, the, the scenes I can remember from this, they weren't horrific. They were just more tedious. I'm like, why is this happening right now? You know, what, what was the motivation and what was the point of having this scene in there? And I think one of the biggest examples would be uh, a character commits suicide. And though they find them sitting in this room and it's just like, again, it's just, it just all becomes very gratuitous and just anxious. asks like, why is this, why is this happening? Why is this movie being what it is? I completely agree with what you guys have said so far. It's definitely seems really problematic, especially anytime you're marketing a movie and the biggest thing to see, I've seen on Instagram, Jamel Monet is on like, the little antebellum teaser saying you have to see the twist anytime the reason to watch a movie is the twist you probably don't have much of a movie to sell entirely and i think like that's a big problem especially i'm going in watching it. okay what's the twist i hadn't seen trailers but i'd seen like 10 seconds of it and the 10 seconds that i'd seen i had caught on to what the twist was so going in i had two kind of ideas and one of those ended up being right but it definitely jack you made a good point where i think the twist does make things a lot more problematic you don't really realize it until the movie ends where and that it's issues with the script and the editing where once things happen things that happened prior now don't make sense once things are explained because certain characters probably would do things in other ways if they were actually in just this whole thing that's going on. And so, I mean, staying away from the plot itself, because pretty much everything is a spoiler, the directors, Jared Bush and Christopher Renz, their music video directors making their feature film debut with this. You can see that with, like you said, the opening scene, Kevin, is pretty good. It's a long take throughout the whole, um, I think, Jack, you were trying to say, like, yeah, they're outposts, Confederate outposts. It's a long take. The score really drives it. It's, it's a good score. It definitely, like, brings in more horror than the maybe the whole film itself. I think any time your cell with horror is just taking something like slavery and saying, well, it's scary because it's slavery, that's not – you kind of – like Get Out goes above and beyond and goes into the sucking place. There's like this, there's this extra layer that's like, oh, it, like this horror element where stuff here is just like, well, it's scary because it's real life, but also you can just turn on the news and see what's going on. And you're like, well, that's scary to me, right? Um, so it doesn't really have that extra layer, but the things like the score do add that on. This is something interesting. They said they hunted down the lenses that were in Gone with the Wind. They were used for Gone with the Wind. They got them. And they put them, they made their cameras, like the lenses work with the cameras. And so their, their reasoning for this was to recast the narrative of like 
what was shot on these things because I guess they're not like I I mean there's the whole obviously the conversation around gone with the wind right now but I think that's major beef to be like oh we're gonna get the lenses and reshoot and recast like everything that was wrong back in the day and it's like that's I don't think if you're writing down your script to be like oh we want to make a big statement instead of we want to make a good movie that has a big statement then that's where you're really I think that's the biggest problem here it would rather go out of its way to shoot on the same lenses as Gone with the Wind than like make a a decent narrative I think the script is pretty bad I think the editing doesn't help it out there's this one scene where it cuts to black there might be a character around and then all of a sudden he just walks out and you're like what I thought it was gonna like cut to a new thing because it cut to black it was really weird I think Janelle Monet does a good job I, I think she's still like young overall as an actress in her career I think she has like steps to take to really get to that huge like dramatic turn uh I, so I don't think this is on the roll with like what we saw um from things yeah just like us and uh like the invisible man I don't think it's that good of roles or hereditary but she still does a solid job I think yeah oh man just talking about it it's definitely it it's pretty problematic. It, it probably is like a good as ideas like Benioff and Weiss's Confederacy HBO show would have been where the Confederate wins civil war. It's like, why, why does that need to be an idea? Like we don't need that. I think there's some things that don't need to be made. And that's definitely one. I kind of think this is another thing. They, they claim that, the film coming out in the time right now, it really adds to that, but I think it only kind of hurt them because you just, this isn't, I don't know if this is what people want to be watching right now. I think we kind of want to move forward with these issues instead of like keep, I mean, yes, if they're there, we should point them out, but if we continue to always just dwell on the past, um, how are we going to move forward? Right. And that kind of seems like what this, especially just going back, like, it's, they, these guys were obsessed with Gone with the Wind, and they just wanted to redo the narrative, where maybe just make something new, make something fresh, forward-thinking, and really give your characters something powerful to work with, but I just don't think that's here, so those are my thoughts, I, yeah, I couldn't recommend it, I didn't have a fun time here, <laughs> it's just, it's a mess for sure, but if you're interested in quarantine, I'd get it. Look, I understand that, that that people don't like to talk about politics in, in cinema, and I and I, I I get that, but I think that these these two things go hand in hand, and they have done all the way back to the the Frankenstein, the, the Mummy, the, the Invisible Man horrors of the Universals in the '30s. So it's always relevant to talk about, and especially what's happening now. I think we think we do need to discuss it. I I think that the the, the, the biggest problem with this film is that it thinks it's an ally. I think I think this unfortunately makes the the conversation on 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 racism and, and of, on this white pride and, and, and that sort of topic, I think it really does a disservice to it because if you don't give these racist characters a reason to do what they do, then ultimately I think the film tries to normalize that behavior. And if you don't explain or, or, or the film gives it context of why these people do what they do, I don't think subconsciously or consciously even if people are watching this film, um, maybe the 14, maybe the 13, maybe maybe the 
I don't know if this is a 15, maybe they're watching it for the first time they're 17. And these, these kids are naive or, you know, someone at 55, I don't know, regardless of the age, if someone is naive and someone is ignorant to race and you watch this film and you see these, these characters do what they do, but there's no reason behind it. I don't think anyone of that caliber will give a fuck. I think if, if the film would have presented these characters to be evil uh, for a reason, like John Peel, I don't want to compare them, but I think it's probably relevant, is that John Peel, John people, John Peel's Get Out, it uses race there, but it also has this sort of weighted edge upon that in a really subverted and unexpected manner. Uh, and it really goes into that B-movie territory, and I think he plays with that wonderfully. Here, the film doesn't want to give the time of day to these horrible people. And again, I, I hope that, I'm not trying to say that I want to see depth or that I want to see charismatic racist characters. It's not that. But I think if you, if you project that these people are evil and they're evil because of this, I think that will resonate in people who are naive and understand of their sort of replication of their actions as well. And it's an issue that I think the New Mutants has as well, is that Anya Taylor-Joy, even though she's very good in that film, her character says some despicable slurs against, I believe the correct term is, is, is Native um, Americans. And the film could have a topic of conversation there to assert that and say that this character is saying these things, they are not right, they are horrible. The character contextually pays for those remarks and she, she understands by the end of the film, and we're speaking about cinema here, we're not about real people, but that the character in the film understands that that is not the right thing to do. Now, within the actual film, that character is not uh, given the, the, those, like, you know, I'm trying to think of the word, but the, the character is not sort of ever, you know, given an, an issue of, like, within, within the film, it's like, she can say those things, get away with it, and at the end of the day, they're all friends. But unfortunately, that just subconsciously reinforces that it's acceptable to say it because you're all friends at the end of the day. And it's a danger because, again, we, there's all this, this conversation of that is cinema, do you treat your audience like idiots or do you treat them highbrow? And there's, there's a balance there, you know? You don't want to have, you know, a film about, you know, physical you know, science, yes, physical science, science and physics and jargon like that and bore the shit out of them. But you also want to get that cinematic element of you want to sort of entertain as well. And I think not to move on, but that's an issue that Interstellar has against 2001. And I'd rather watch 2001 and not have someone bore me to death about science. I'd rather go to a, 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 you know, a science class. Why would I want to go to the cinema to know that? But anyway, regarding the context of this, if you, if you have the same point here, I want to know what, why those people think the way they do. If I, don't under, if, if I don't see what they do, I can never understand. If I don't understand, I, I, people, people will never know that it's, a, it's the wrong thing to do. I understand that that sounds stupid because people, these characters are judging other people on, on the, the color of the skin, which again, I'm, any, anyone with sound of mind would understand that that's not normal. That's not how you treat other people. But again, I think it treats it, the narrative as well, the horror as well, the audience so stupid that they should expect to know. I don't think that's I don't think that's the best decision this film should have done. I think it really should have explained why these people are horrible and have them have repercussions for their actions. Because ultimately they're just it's against just a horror set piece after each other. One character you don't really have to blink in an eye and you'll you'll you you do not really know it. 
they're the person that, that, that ultimately has a demise. And then secondly, there's another character in an elongated sort of set piece that's horribly shot. It's quite clearly shot during the day and post-production edited to, to be at night. Again, I just think there's, there's a massive disservice to the cause here. Um, showcase these people are horrible, Ex, you know, in, within the film. Sh- like, you know, even, even 12 Years a Slave, Michael Fassbender's performance there is the pinnacle of evil. You don't really have a reason of why he does it, but you understand he hates these people because of the colour of skin. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people could say, well, there's not a lot of depth there. And again, I, I probably contradict myself here, but I would I probably would agree with them. But it's the it's the calibre of actor who performs that. It's the evil and the, the viciousness in his words that you get. Jack Houston and, and um, Jenna Malone here, they're not at that calibre of a fast bender. They're, they're just... They're just I don't want to be detrimental to the, their, their ability and range, but they're not. But they're also not afforded the material by the screenplay to really make these people horrible pieces of shit. And ultimately, I think by not making them horrible pieces of shit, where does the film ethically land there? Because ultimately, it's not giving them a, the audience a reason to hate those two people, aside from their actions. And again, I think that's, a, that's incredibly problematic within this film. These people are racist. These people do horrible things because of people's colour of the skin. Why are they doing that? I don't want to know because I, I want to be like, oh my God, well, maybe they're the nice people. It's not about that. It's the fact that you need to show audiences who, who might see this, who might rent it, that fucking these, these things are terrible. And I just don't think the film does that. And again, the, the first 30 minutes does that quite well. You, these people are fucking horrible horrible but then you, you sort of get this twist and the film just doesn't give you the depth of why these people are doing the way they are i mean it's it's very comparable to the to, to the hunt that came out a few months ago and um, which got again annihilated because of its sort of subverted political conversation which i, I felt genuinely was quite interesting and people find that controversial but if we don't have controversial stuff i think we'll never have that discussion but regardless of that I think what that film does is it has the conversation um, and it has the depth of an explaining of why these people go to the extent they do here. I think it's just not, it's just not viable by, by the screenplay. And it's, and it, again, I just feel like it uses, it uses slavery to sort of have, to like have this really hollow point. And I go back to it again, where I just feel like I, I, it, incredibly distasteful throughout really distasteful and, and, and we go back to what we spoke about the devil all the time i'm trying to sort of find a reason of why perhaps i would watch this again and and aside from to, to show people how not to showcase the depiction of of, of slavery on screen and not how to do a, a genre piece and not how to utilize an incredible talent of janelle Monet as well as supporting cast here that just make me like some jack houston stuff like that I can't really think of a positive, again, just to stand out my thoughts. This is just Hollywood bullshit where it reminds me of Homemade, where they'll make, Hollywood will make a film on the, on the latest trend. And I feel like this is so unbelievably distasteful, so unbelievably in, in bad taste about using this theme of, of you know, of, of race in a genre piece for the sake of having a horror film. 
and I think that's that's generally the worst thing you can do at this moment in time. And I th- I, f- I hope that the people who come away from this understand that this is not the way to fucking do it. Uh, because ultimately, after this, I don't think it'll hit it'll hurt Janelle Monae. I don't think she's probably she's probably unstoppable now. Uh, but the two directors, I think, uh, I'm, I'm I probably if I if they, if a project came up and it was interesting, synopsis wise, and I saw them two people were direct were directing and attached, I'd probably just I'd take that off my watch list straight away. Really, really, really distasteful feature uh, ultimately for me. Uh, I, I just I can't really find an explanation of of why I think this is terrible because I feel like anyone who would watch it would understand straight away. Like, like I think Kevin said it, it's just that twist. I mean, seriously, like on the surface, it's like, Oh wow. And then before long, it's so bad. It's unbelievable. It's so tone deaf. I mean, I can't fucking imagine who was in the, uh, in the Hollywood studio there to decide that this was an idea. I mean, I don't know who hoodwinked Janelle Monáe into this as well because this must have been described on a, on a piece of paper very differently to the final product. And shit, yeah, that happens. It happens a lot, but not to the degree that happened here. I think anyone could read that script and go, well, hang on a second. Do you not think this is quite tone deaf of what's happening right now? You don't give any depth to these characters You're using it as just a horror plot device. You're not really explaining to the audience why these things are, are terrible. You're sort of just running over it and, and, and ultimately sort of making it um, acceptable to showcase on screen without any depth and and real warning. So I don't know where these two go from here. Hopefully they sort of go back and realise that this was a massive mistake, but nobody's watching it anyway, which is a, is a positive, I suppose. Yeah, um, there was a point Jacob had brought up earlier. I didn't know about the uh, that they had used the lenses from Gone with the Wind. Uh, it kind of reminded me of uh, a few years ago with uh, the uh, the uh, Birth of a Nation that came out with uh, it was by uh, Nat Nat or Nate Parker, where it was uh, they used the name they used the title of the the original Birth of a Nation, which is uh, if you know what that movie is, then you know why people would not like that movie very much and it kind of made me think about that in the sense of like no there 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 was a point in using the title but ultimately the film itself just does not work it ultimately does more of a disservice to to whatever it's trying to to discuss and and the same and also with the directors as well i don't know where they would go from this point on, honestly, if this is only their debut, you know, you'd think that you know, things would look up from here, but with a film that's just this problematic and just good, it's kind of hard to want to be like, these two need to keep making movies in Hollywood. And a lot of the aesthetic as well is very much music video aesthetic. Like I remember throughout the entire movie, there's this one shot that's repeated over and over again, which is the same kind of like backwards moving tracking shot. I think it's used like three or four times the entire movie. It's just very, it's, it's, it's obvious that this is probably a first film, but for it to be like this, it's, I don't know where anybody's going to go from here. I, w- I will say one thing, and this is going to be like going to sound strange, but please just bear with me. The one thing this film actually does have going for it is that it was an on-demand release. Because wow, if this was released in cinemas in a normal year, this would have been fucking crucified. And don't get me wrong, I think it has got a lot of stick on Twitter. I'm, I'm genuinely going to be a part of that group. I, I'm 
I'm actually quite shocked to the extent of how piss poor this feature actually is on its subject matter. But if this was in cinemas, this would have been really bad. I can just see this would have been in, in, incredibly off playing. Um, the one thing I just want to bring up though is that we talk about like, you know, watching this like, sort of feature and having this sort of emotional response to it. Is anyone else slightly surprised that this hasn't be, had the brunt of, like, let's say, cuties, for example? Because, you know, like, like, not to get into that whole debate ab- about uh, the actual context of that film, I don't want to talk about the subject matter, but I do want to sort of compare the two because one has a conversation about something and, and, and within, within reason, depending on how you feel about the film, we can talk about it a little bit. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to, um, not, you know, I don't want to stop anyone from having an opinion on it. I just feel like... Uh, again, I haven't seen Cuties, but I, I can sort of, from the conversation that's coming out from it, and not to use that word again, but I feel like there's actual conversation to be had within that piece of work. Now, compared to this, you've got a drama and a horror. You've got very two different genres, don't get me wrong. But I feel that Antebellum is twice as, regardless of what you think of Cuties, even if, again, I haven't seen it, but I just don't see how someone trying to make a comment about society with that depiction of, of young girls in, in, in that, in that sport of, of, you know, I, I, I believe it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's, a, I think it's a French film, but I believe it's like dancing at a very young age, uh, provocatively. But there's, there's at least there's a sort of a, a conscious co- a conversation to have on, on how the depiction of oversexualization of children and I think a lot of people are missing that point with that film. Granted, it may go to one step further than the other. I, I will probably talk about it in a, in a minute, but I just feel like that compared to something like Antebellum, which uses a subject matter that is way too inappropriate within the context of, of a horror film and to sort of scapegoat that and, and use it as a, as a horror device and not actually give it any depth, detail, or even care on the topic. Um, I can't believe that those same people are up in arms against uh, Antebellum. Now, I don't want to sort of, again, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway because I, 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 I don't want to go too political. But to me, if if the, the one thing that I think Cuties is getting a lot of shit for and, and Antebellum isn't, is that I think that, I think that it has a, it has a Janelle Monáe in the lead that don't, will do it. I think it's an American film and a lot of people don't really want to attack Hollywood at the moment because it's trying to sort of survive this COVID era of cinematic uh, discourse. But I, do, I truthfully feel that the one, print, the, the one thing that people aren't taking is that Antebellum doesn't even have a fucking conversation about its subject matter. It doesn't even question these people why they're doing what they're doing. It doesn't even want to take a pause and reflect on the absolute traumatic um, uh, topic of conversation. So I just want to throw out there, I just want to know if anyone else's opinion, because I I want to get Hillary involved here, because I I know I'd like to hear Hillary's thoughts on it, but does anyone else would have a a, a thought and thing why Antebellum doesn't look like it's getting the brunt of its its much-deserved controversy, whereas a film like Cuties is is getting, uh, you know, petitions on change.org about, you know, cancelling Netflix. I think a lot of it is probably just stemming from the fact that a lot of the controversy with cuties stems from not just Netflix fucking up with the, uh, with the marketing on it, but with the fact that there's, especially here in America, there's been this, this very growing conspiracy theory, this conspiracy theory, especially with no human trafficking and no children, especially, you know, 
that's a conversation a lot of people aren't having as more so as just talking shit about cuties. So I think it's just a lot more with people having time on their hands and just getting sucked into these really ridiculous conspiracy theories that, like you said, it's you no know, making people make petitions on change.org or getting politicians to want to investigate Netflix. I want to say before any of this that I have not seen Antebellum and I haven't seen Cuties, but just the objective observation is that Cuties has to do with children. And like Kevin said, it does link to certain conspiracy theories, in particular QAnon. I haven't seen any of these theories at work or looked into this myself. It's just something I've heard about. So take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. I think it's just because it's kids and a lot of times people kind of fall to like protect the children and antebellum, antebellum is about black people. And so of course, for people to get upset, things have to be pushed much, much more because it's just, it's about a minority as opposed to like, just like, you know, like save the children or whatever. So that's just my piece on that, but I could be completely wrong. I, I, I haven't seen cuties, but my thought is one is so cuties is like the claim is it's breaking the law, right? Like this is what it, what the claims are. Oh, this is against like a lot of things where, I mean, antebellum is just a poor narrative, right? So I think that might be a different, I mean, going on, I like what you're saying, Jack, about that the the villains in this movie antebellum don't have you're right they, they're not given an explanation i mean clearly like you don't have to know their reasoning to know they're bad because we're seeing that we're, we're shown that a lot but i think it's becoming a cliche in hollywood that the south is bad and that that's like oh well of course you know they're bad they're from the south and i just lived in mississippi for eight months most hostile Fitable people I've been around. And I was in California my whole life, also a great place. But I just think that, like, there's this, like, oh, the South is bad. Like, it's like, well, I don't know. Like, obviously, the old South and the Confederacy is, but today it's just kind of hard to be like, I think it's becoming a cliche. So I do agree. If you have that explanation, if you have why is this going on, it'd be a much more interesting film. It would clear up a lot of the problems with like the narrative surrounding it and it would just uh i mean make it a more powerful piece overall so that's i mean that's all i got just to add on that um i've i've only ever visited arkansas and the probably the the least i say about that the better for for everybody um but i I will say one thing i think the film does also struggle with stereotypes as well i think it it does some very interesting things within character choices you know, it, there's a there's a lot of stuff where it does get granted. You've got a very empowering, um, very very um, successful lead lead character, a wonderful family, but but it does other things regarding supporting characters where it just feels like a, a like a like a stereotype. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't even say it's like a racial stereotype or anything like that. I just feel like it's a film like what Project Power did as well. It's you have you have a, a young black girl, and, and the only thing that them two directors could think of it that she wanted to be a rapper. And I just, I just, I think it's one of the discourses on Twitter where I, I actually agreed with. I, I thought to myself, I, I was the, the girl could could have been anything, and they just had to make it a very like sort of racial stereotype. Again, it comes from two white directors, I believe, who made Nerve, which I think speaks for its fucking self. But there's a lot more that that that, that, that writers can do now, and 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 to sort of really 
to sort of touch upon like stereotypes there again it's just a film that just doesn't it, it falls at every every hurdle for me at antebellum and i, I don't, I don't want to go too much into it because i might generally get an aneurysm talking about this film but I, i'm 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 not i don't know if if any if it listeners sort of listened to us before um, I get quite angry about a lot. Of, <laughs> I get quite angry about a lot of films um, because they become insensitive. What, what you know, certain decisions and, and stuff that shouldn't have, you know, had certain decisions in them. I'm not mad at this. I'm just so disappointed. And and, and we're in 2020 now. You have a really, 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 really uh, good performing Janelle Monet. You have a director debut. You could do anything you wanted to do. And you make a horror film about about slavery with the most tone deaf angle imaginable. I just think that 2020 offers so much now in the wake of, you know, understanding decisions, understanding microaggressions, just understanding that, you know, there's so much more options now. And 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 even though the world does look like it's a dark place at times with what's happening, there's going to be an uplifting factor is that we're all going to have to come together one way or another regardless we're going we're going to have to coexist now in in more ways than one and i think that it, this this is a film that could i don't want to say reinforce that these people are fucking racist like i don't want i, I don't want these characters like look I, we we understand you've done horrible things to us but we're all going to be friends i i don't want that i'm glad that Janelle Monet kicks the shit out of both of these two people i'm i'm glad about that but i think that there's there's there should be nuance now where an exploitation film is one thing, but I think that this film had a lot to say and it wastes every fucking chance. And I don't know which is the greatest sin. The fact that the film is not very good or the, the fact that the film has the chance to really touch upon a, a, an interesting uh, and quite profound topic and misses its mark completely. Time will only tell about that, I think. But ultimately, within sort of, again, we're in reason what's, what we're seeing now about Black Lives Matter. There's absolutely no excuse to, to, to not write empowering black female leads and I think the one thing this film does is that but it still goes on racial stereotypes that I, I again uh, I'm not I'm not particularly fond of I don't there's no excuse to do that now really really no excuse depending I don't know if anyone else feels the same I just felt like there's like some sort of stereotypes it was like oh, okay we're really doing that now and they say I felt the same way in Project Power not to bring it up again but it was just that that young actress is, is like so dynamic in, in that role that to just plainly make her want to be a rapper and have this like scene with Jamie Foxx. I was just like, wow, is that really what you're going to do about that? Like really? Just anything you could really write about it. But again, I don't know. Uh, time will tell about Antebellum for me. Uh, although I think it's going to get annihilated sooner rather than later. I just wish it would have come out in the, in the, in the cinemas and really got the uh, uh, disservice it deserved. Uh, one thing I can say is that from the little bit I understand about the plot and I have as an aside, I didn't see the trailer or anything like that. And I now I'm aware of the plot. For some reason, I thought it was a time travel movie. And I do wonder now if that would have been a better idea or maybe would have been a worse idea. But from what I'm getting from you guys about this film is that this does seem like a film that should have been released in January or February, because it seems like there's no way they would have thought that this would fly that it does seem to be like something that comes out early in the year. It's like, okay, this is embarrassing. We'll put it out. <laughs> Do you guys think that it would have been better that way if it had just been released at another time? I'll, I'll just say this, this, this quickly. Um, I, not only would I say it would have been better released at another time, I think at, uh, not released at all would have been better. 
I don't because I, I I know that not to go back on it. I don't, I don't want to make a massive answer to, to this. Sorry, Hilda, but um, it was an issue when the New Mutants was going to come out and Dark Phoenix. I remember Grace Randolph said these both should be just cancelled. They should be cancelled. No one needs them anymore. We've moved on. And I just thought to myself, and I responded, and ultimately I got blocked by this comment. But I just said, like a thousand people worked on that film. Like it's not just Janelle Monet. It's not just. It's not like that. It's, it's the fact that someone made those costumes for her to wear someone did her makeup like someone did the set design there was an extra there who got paid 500 dollars to to drink a martini in the background but like it's something to show it, it you put a, people put a lot of time and effort into this and that's why god i'm gonna go around that i don't like auteurs that's what i'm trying to say as well i don't like auteurs whatsoever if you're sort of simply saying a film is defined by its director i think that's a really egotistical and, and quite well ridiculous thing to say because you know you, you have to look at the intricacies of film someone got up at 4 30 in the morning and lit that scene to the standard it could be shot in and and then finished it at what 6 30 in the morning the next day i just think that there's a lot there's a, there's a lot that should be seen and i, and I do I, res, I totally respect that but to contradict myself i think whoever made this film production wise i think is it a sony release i just want to make sure I'll just say, I think they should have just fucking canned this. This, Nobody needs this film whatsoever. It doesn't add anything whatsoever. It's Lionsgate. I I like Lionsgate, I don't know it wrong, but um, I think they need to just get rid of this. This doesn't do anything for anybody. This is just so problematic and unbelievably tone deaf. I can't imagine anyone wanting to go on Redbox and rent this. Maybe Janelle Monáe will, 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 will pull people towards. But I think, like I said before, long, I think even she'll probably want to distance herself from it. Because this is not the material that any anyone who, who, who is is very empowering, like she's she, she's she's very empowering about her sexuality. She's very very empowered about the colour of her skin, and so she should be. I think that this is a film that does a, a big disservice to to her as a character, uh, her character as well, which is which is deeply unfortunate. Because I just don't want anyone, I just don't want anyone sort of like going to this film and being like, oh wow, this is amazing, and it's like, no no no, come on now. Come on now. We, Janelle Monáe, go watch Homecoming Season 2. Go watch her in Hidden Figures. Go watch her in Moonlight. She's sensational in Moonlight. But no, I, to be honest, just to, <laughs> to keep it short, I apologise. I would have just canned this. I think if it, it depends on how the, what the budget was. If this was 30 million, 25 million, Lionsgate should have cut the losses and just put it into a, uh, donated the whole money to Black Lives Matter because at this rate, they've done nothing. Yeah, I think I think I saw that the um, the budget was like fourteen and a half, so kind of seems reasonable for a movie like this. But it still should have just been like one of those dump month kind of kind of films. I think I saw the trailer with Underwater, which again was another great example of like a dump month kind of movie. But it's just uh, there's just there's there's so much wrong with this. I just don't want to keep going on about talking about how much I did not like this movie, which I mean, Jake does bring up a good point. There's a lot of people who did ultimately work on this, but it should have just been released in theaters. I think asking us to pay 19.99 to watch this garbage was, is is already a crime, a crime in and of itself. Well, that's another thing. Not to cut you off, Jacob, or you, Hillary, but that's something. Nineteen ninety-nine. That's twenty dollars to rent this. So that's fifteen or seventeen pounds in the UK, depending on inflation. Oh God, that, that's criminal. That's absolutely criminal. I mean, I I, I detest Tenet. I, I, I seriously detest that film. But I would rather go watch that IMAX 3D 
on my phone than ever, ever set foot in a cinema to watch this. I think they did the right decision to VOD it, but $20 to watch this is, is criminal. And again, it reinforces the fact that they're going to sort of just skate by on Janelle Monet's name alone. And I hope it doesn't come down to that. This is Janelle Monet's first leading role. This should have been her clown, a crowning glory, I'd say clowning, but ultimately that's what it is, a crowning glory piece of cinema where she gets to show her range, and she does, she's actually pretty good in this film. She, 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 co- she showcases some emotional range here, and she's, she's pretty much devastating when she wants to uh, really have that material at hand. But I just feel that if anybody comes at Janelle Monet for, for working this, quite clearly doesn't know the intricacies of Hollywood, because... She'd have been told on paper this this is one thing and, and it's ultimately come out another, but not to sort of move on anything but that. But Hillary, when you said about the time travel thing, that's one thing I think a lot of theories had when the actual trailer came out, because I saw that a lot on Twitter. And I'm thinking to myself now, would it have been better like that? Understanding the context of the film. It doesn't uh, it do, I, I, I just I just don't I just don't know. I, I I don't know how to salvage this. I think it's a train wreck, and I think it was built as a train wreck. I don't think this is a ship that's sinking. I think this is a ship that sunk before it got out of its dock. Uh, for my part, I, I have absolutely no idea. I'm thinking, I, I'm thinking about it, like, could it have worked as a time travel movie? But I, I honestly don't know. People thinking about how this film could have been done better. It might be a passenger situation where a lot of people went and saw passengers and was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is horrible. But someone did bring up an alternate ending for it that intrigued people a lot more, which is, you know, the Chris Pat character actually dies off earlier and Jennifer Lawrence's character is walking around thinking about waking someone up on the spaceship that she's abandoned on about making it more of a moral dilemma. So there might be people who come up with better ways to do antebellum on social media. There might be something very interesting that comes out of this, but that's not enough of a reason to have antebellum exist. Again, I agree with you. It just becomes more of a disservice to the cause. And um, I don't know. We, we, there's, there's something that happened in the UK a few days ago where we have, a, we have like the talent show. Britain's got talent. Americans got talent. It's the same thing. Uh, we have a group um, called Diversity, which do um, like performance art. Really, really interesting sort of performance. And they did a Black Lives Matter one. And it had over 1,300 Ofcom, which is a regulator for television, complaints. The, 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 the broadcast station, ITV, had to come out and defend it. They just run, in every single national newspaper, a really powerful black and white photograph of the, the famous um, fist in the air, you know, saying that, you know, you'll, you'll not break us apart. You know, to be seen is to be heard. Um, they shouldn't even have to do that at this point, but it is just one of those things where... I just, it's just, it's actually fucking brain. It's, it numbs my fucking brain to know that we still live in a society of what's happened. And we're quite a few months away now from, from what's happened with George Floyd. And we just don't seem to have learned anything. Like it, the, the, there's people like fighting corners here. And I just find myself like, why just like, can we not all just agree the fact that this is fucking terrible what's happened. And you've still got, you know, obviously uh, the wrong side completely just like almost ignorant to the fact that this has even happened at this point and we've you know we I don't know I just I just feel like again to reinforce my point we live in a world now we don't need this sort of shit of antebellum it's just not needed whatsoever like, granted it it, it 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 came out in a time where nobody knew what would have been happening now 
but but that, that this sort of stuff happens all the time and it really should have had something better to say for itself um, when you compare it to its to its contemporaries and even its its peers uh, it, this it's a, it's a shallow feature and everyone involved should be deeply disappointed to round up Clappercast, we like to end on some of our latest film or TV recommendations. Uh, Jacob, you set us off this week with your latest uh, recommendations for our audience to uh, watch. So after watching Tenet, I got in a John David Washington mood. And so I started watching HBO's Ballers with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and John David Washington co-starring in that. I think it's fun to see his early roots. He was a football player. He plays a football player. So he's it's obviously like perfect for the part, but it's just fun to see more of him. And obviously it's a different world for Dwayne Johnson too. So the series is over. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun. It's been a good watch and watching more of John David Washington for sure. Hello, yourself. Uh, I have two short recommendations. One is actually a trailer for a movie I haven't seen, but the trailer made me laugh so much. I feel like it's worth seeing if, even if the movie itself ends up being garbage. It's a movie called I've Got Issues. It's directed by Steve Collins, who I've never heard before. It seems like a really dark comedy about just the state of humanity right now. The trailer, and I believe the film was narrated by Jim Gaffigan, and it just shows people being miserable for like no reason. It really encapsulates 2020, but it's in such an absurd way that you can't stop laughing because you're like, yeah, no, that's it. There's a one shot in particular that shows a woman on a roller coaster ride that's completely out of control and she's just screaming that she wants to get off and I thought like yeah that sounds like everybody I know in 2020 uh, so that trailer's worth checking out the other thing I'd recommend is um, the latest not really it's a music not a music video it's more of a short film that FK Twigs did with a uh, Hiro Murai for one of her songs off of Magdalene called Sad Day like I said it's not standard music video it's not typical in any way. It is more like a short film, but it showcases some amazing special effects, really striking imagery. Um, she learned a lot of sword play to do this, so there's sword fighting in it. I'd say that that's definitely worth eight or nine minutes of your time. Kevin? Uh, I got a couple. Uh, one's an older film. Which, uh, if you have a Criterion channel, I would definitely recommend uh, checking this out. It's uh, Sullivan's Travels by Preston Surges. Uh, it's about a Hollywood director who wants to make a more serious film, but is challenged when he's asked if he's ever experienced any hardships in his own life. So he decides to go out and experience middle America for himself. It's a very great old classic comedy Oh, you can very much see the influence on people like the Coen brothers in that film. So I would definitely, definitely recommend checking that out if you are a fan of older films like that. And the second I would recommend, which I just saw the trailer for today, was um, Steve McQueen's Small Axe, which actually looks very, very great. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing that in, in uh, November. I'm so conflicted. I desperately want to sort of recommend Aqua Slash, but I know I can't do that because it's, it's probably terrible, but I, go watch that. It's, it's so good. If you like Final Destination and horror, generally go watch that film. It's, it's, it's so absurd. It will, it, will, it will do it for you. Um, on a more poignant note, though, I think when I spoke about Antebellum today, I think that um, I've got to recommend something far more superior, and that would be Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. 
and it was such a really interesting dynamic take on horror but also drama with it with an interesting conversation to have on race on about america's history um, a really dynamic thing and also I, I just think going from strength to strength to strength i think jonathan majors is one to watch like i, I, I it's got to the point now where the last black man in san francisco he is an outstanding performer in that film but he, he he's, he's just so simply superb and everything is in. I mean, the five bloods. He has a very small role, but he he sort of holds his own against his his on screen father, but Linda, oh, incredible. Um, I would so recommend that. It's on HBO now. I don't think it's finished its run just yet. I think it's about halfway through. But if anyone can catch that, please go go ahead. I, I, I think if you want to watch a film that's far better antebellum, please do it. Uh, but that is it for this week on Clappercast. Uh, where can we find everyone on social media? Hillary? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd under the name Laudanum at 33. You can also find me on WordPress. I write a blog called The Holy Shrine. Kevin? Uh, you can find me just on Letterboxd pretty much under uh, CK Kevin. And Jacob? You can find me over on Twitter at, um, at Jacob underscore R underscore Allen. And you can find myself um, on the username, both on Letterboxd and on Twitter, at Jack Luke Sharp for all my sort of bullshit hot takes. Um, <laughs> but you can find all the latest releases of film and television reviewed at www.clapperltd.co.uk and find our social links on Clapper at Facebook and at ClapperLTD on Twitter, as well as our letterbox, which our own great Alina runs. Um, send over a follow to her and to the letterbox if you can do uh, thank you all for listening uh, this week and we're back next week to discuss all things cinema